Welcome to Into the Mothlight, a podcast for experimental film, installation art, artists' moving image, film curation and festivals. This time we are in discussion with independent artist, filmmaker and researcher Carol Dewing. Carl is a prolific filmmaker. His films, performances and installations have been shown widely. In 2017, he received his PhD from the University of Arts London in animation, interactive film and sound. In his thesis, Carl proposed new forms of humility, doubt and listening to be advanced in today's overconfident and exploitative human culture. In recent years, his work has revolved around experimenting with a new organic process he calls photography a technique that uses the internal chemistry of plants for the creation of images on photographic emulsion. He has delivered numerous workshops in this, sharing the technique and supporting people to use this process. He's developed a website dedicated to the work and has just released online workshops that people can access during the lockdown. To start our conversation, I asked Carol about his journey into experimental film. Into the moth light. In fact, I really started from performance. Um, I was... Uh, uh, my parents sort of encouraged me to choose an instrument and I choose percussion. And the other thing is that uh, we regularly went to museums. We, uh, my father loved to visit museums in the weekend. Then, of course, I said the typical thing that pe- people say, uh, you have that nowadays as well, that people say like, oh, uh, I can also do that when they see a, a, a modern kind of a piece of modern art. And then my mother immediately said, oh, you should do it. And she gave me lots of materials. So I was doing those those two things. I, w- I was playing percussion and I was painting with kind of different materials because I like to mess around with stuff. Um, and then I saw, um, well, I first bought records. Uh, I, I was um, uh, reading a, a music magazine. Um, and uh, first I discovered uh, The Cure. And then, but then immediately after that, I discovered Einstürzen and Neubauten, which was much more extreme. Um, and also the Virgin Prunes, a uh, band from Ireland. Uh, not so much later, I saw both bands playing live and I was really impressed. And that was the, the performance was really important. And, uh, it was not just about the music, but it was also what happened on stage. Um, and then I, I thought, like, I, I want to do something similar. So I, I changed my drum kit. I got all kind of stuff, uh, additional stuff to my drum kit. And I also uh, found ways to incorporate painting. So I did live uh, um, action painting on stage and combined it with percussion and sort of more physical performance. And 
the moment I went to art school, I thought like I have to find a way to, to combine that. I, I want to do this, the, the term sound art didn't exist at that, that time. I didn't also, my teachers, they were not, they were mostly painters. They were not specialized in performance or uh, audiovisual art at all. So it, I was uh, um, just um, searching for a way to combine music and performance. And they had an audiovisual studio. I went there and they said like, well, we just have a new pneumatic um, set, but you're not allowed to touch that. Uh, but there are some super eight equipment. Try your luck. And that's how it happened. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about experimental film. I, I just um, found a super eight camera and they had an animation stand. And I made um, an, an animation film with woodcuts because we, this was one of our classes. We were, uh, we had like this, they, they didn't have that many practical classes, but they had a, a graphic studio and, and that um, tutor was really enthusiastic. And so he taught us all the different techniques and I made a, a woodcut and printed it and then cut it some more and printed it again and then decided to make an animation. And that was my first Super 8 film. And I, I fell in love with the, with the medium and that's how it happened. <laughs> that's how it happened. And wh when did you first start to um seek out experimental film and, and um, look at some of the, 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 the classic makers of experimental films. Did you get access to that in the, the Netherlands? No, not at all. Uh, this was also um, really interesting um, because they had an exchange, pro uh, exchange program with Newcastle upon time. And um, I signed up for that and I went there and they had, and the reason to uh, that I was really attracted to it because they had uh, sixty millimeter uh, Bolex cameras, and uh, there was a TV studio that worked on VNF news film, and you could go there, um, and that would develop the film overnight. So that felt like wow, fantastic. Um, and then I found um, I went to their library and I found a book about new American cinema and I found Brackage's Metaphors on Vision. And uh, that's when I first heard about experimental film and that there was this whole history. And I must say, I did see some I did see the angelic conversation by Derek Jarman before that. Um, and that also very much appealed to me. The, the earlier works of yours that I've seen, um, Ultimatum from 1992, which you describe as a protest against the first Gulf War, then Light Years, the year later, Light Years in particular has a, a, a beautiful, sort of rough and, and scratchy quality. But to me, these are 16mm works produced by someone who's already very comfortable in, in, in working in, in that medium. So you, you must have developed your, your um, artistic approach and technical approach quite early on into your film career. Yeah, maybe it was also because there was no real support. I just had to do it. So there was this equipment. They didn't care about it at the art school. And then I, um, I just grabbed it and started. I loved making things, experimenting with stuff. Um, so... Um, yeah, and and we also, I mean, this was the eighties. Do it yourself was a was a big thing. So we were all doing that. It I was squatting, 
we were kind of uh, the, the literally kind of uh, the, there was an abandoned place and you opened it up and you had to repair stuff and so that was very much the, the mindset of people at at the time also to approach things like that and i i am a firm believer of that sort of punk and DIY uh, approach and I think that that's a beautiful thing about working in 8mm film now in particular and the fact that you can pick up the film for cheap and develop and process it yourself and um, really in, in, in engage with, with the medium and there's also something quite interesting I think about that squat culture so were there other artists that you were able to collaborate with back then or um, bounce ideas off was it a, a creative environment for you at that point in the late 80s yeah very much um very important was that there was also a small festival um, that, that was organized by uh, some of the people that were connected to the art school. And then they involved lots of students as well. And they, they it was an international festival, so there were lots of international guests. And then they invited Jürgen Reble, who is a German uh, experimental filmmaker. And he, he uh, is famous for his uh, kind of chemical... Uh, treatment of of separate film, and they asked me to um, to help him to assist him during his workshop. But I actually, because I already started working on Super 8 and um, I was editing and printing my own film, and I, but I was working with a with a commercial lab. I didn't know about hand processing myself, and Jürgen opened up that terrain for me. Um, so I assisted him during his workshop, which meant I had to kind of prepare the materials, get uh, all the tools uh, and the ingredients together. And I had to be there all the time. Um, and I, so I could look how he was doing all, the, all, all of that. So I, I, he basically taught me how to process films and immediately also how to use that in a creative way. And then the other thing was that... Um, there was uh, the French performance group Metamkin. They came to the festival and they even before they performed uh, during the festival, they came to my little studio and they showed me their uh, optically printed footage and explained me what they were doing. So, yeah, bo- both of these um, contacts were super important for me. That's, that's kind of really uh, kind of that was very formative. And you seem to be really prolific in the 1990s, the, uh, pr- producing, you know, one or two films a year. And and one that, that stood out to, to me was Many from 1994. So uh, a black and white short uh, made in 35 millimeter. And uh, again, there's sort of a footage of a, of a girl dancing um, superimposed one on top of the other. The motion is developed by really tight, editing so uh, again quite sophisticated techniques so what was the interest in, in, in using that kind of editing and also the jump from 16 millimeter to 35 millimeter yeah first it was the the first idea was very spontaneous I, she was my girlfriend at the time and I, uh, she was this was the thing that she was doing and she was going to um, African dancing lessons so then I asked her like oh would you perform in front of the camera 
I think the editing uh, was inspired by the book that I read in Newcastle upon Tyne because there was I don't remember even kind of which artists they were kind of talking about, but there, there was this kind of this description, a repetition and, and kind of that it was edited in a in a certain way, and that kind of fascinated me. I thought like, oh, I can do something similar. And then the other influence there was uh, Joost Rekveld, which is uh, who, who's a filmmaker, an experimental filmmaker. And he came uh, very early on to my studio as well because he was uh, looking for a, a printer because he wanted to experiment with printing. And I, I had I had a Super 8 contact printer. And I also didn't really understand much about the, kind of the creative possibilities of that machine. But so he was talking a lot about that. And then I figured out like, oh, I, I can, um, I can't sort of uh, print frame by frame. So I can't change the speed of the film or kind of zoom in or anything like that. But what I can do is kind of shift the image. So print it twice and then shift it so that you can get this sort of interesting interplay um, between the, the, the two layers of the film. Yeah, so kind of basically that's kind of uh, how the film emerged. And then it was, I made that already in 1991, actually. But the film was really successful. It got shown on a lot of festivals and it was picked up by the European Media Art Festival. And they had a tour, um, an international tour, and they toured it around as well. And then actually the... Um, the Dutch Film Museum, they said, we want to distribute your film, uh, but we need a 35 millimeter print. And then the, I got my first grant from the from the Dutch Film Fund. And they said like, okay, you have distribution. Here's the money to make a blow up to 35. Into the Moth Light. Into the Moth Light podcast. I really enjoy watching archive film footage or, or, or works that are made with archive materials uh, as as the source. And I'm always interested to see what new and unusual things people can do with the archive footage. And I really enjoyed uh, going back to watch your film Liquidator. So archive footage of what I'm guessing are, are street scenes in Amsterdam and you know the, the the fabric of the film is really manipulated. You know the the streets and scenes and people. It looks like the, there's a kind of chemical processes and a really abstract score. And again, you've been generous enough to share uh, all your work online, so people can go and see this actual one. But what was your approach to kind of using that found footage and the way that you manipulate it to make something quite pedestrian uh, into something quite dark in the end with Liquidator in particular? I think what I already mentioned uh, was many, I had this contact with the film museum in Amsterdam that um, developed uh, during the years after kind of this first um, distribution uh, contract that I had. And uh, uh, then I, at some point I, I, I got really good friends with, especially with people that worked in, uh, in, the, in the archive. Uh, somehow archivists also seem to be interested in experimental film. And then at some point I asked them um, what would be um, the sort of something borderline uh, when you're talking about archive. I, because they, 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 they often uh, 
there are these kind of appeals from archivists that say like, oh, our heritage is uh, falling apart. We need to save it, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that then like kind of the opposite, like, oh, but this is very, very interesting. I would like to see a film that is kind of on the brink of falling apart. The moment that it's, it sort of fades away, disappears. How does that look like? So this is what I asked them, kind of, can you give me a film or some footage that is kind of really on that uh, border? And this is what they came up with. So that, again, was sort of by chance. But I thought it's, it was very interesting because um, it's actually Haarlem, not Amsterdam, but it's quite close and it's a very similar city. It's, it's, um, it's footage... Um, that the it's a very early uh, Dutch production company and they were commercial. They had a, they had a commercial mindset and they they made a sort of city advertisement, a sort of city branding, um, and so this footage was being sold to Italy, and um, it came back from an Italian archive. The archive presented it to the Dutch Film Museum, museum saying like, "Hey, we found this Dutch film." Um, maybe you're interested so they gave it back so that is how it ended up on, on my table and I was very interested in the um, in the deterioration in these kind of strange effects so I didn't manipulate the footage myself so much but it was already there it's nitrate material so the, the nitrate has a, a cotton base uh, so it's or, an organic material the, the plastic is, is much more vulnerable than the modern plastic so it's literally sort of partially eaten by microbes. Uh, not only the the gelatin, but the base itself. So the image is totally deformed. And uh, I found that the, those deformations very interesting. So I, t- tried, I tried to focus on that and kind of really work with that. What I'm doing, it's a digital technique. So it's a very hybrid um, form that sort of tries to use the special character of the analog material and the 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 the, the possibilities that the sort of uh, state of the art digital technique mm-hmm. and i was really interested in how you use sound in your work um and if we take again liquidator as an example it, it's a very dark and abstract score so do you go back to your days as a musician? Do you produce the soundtracks yourself for your work? Yeah, I think that the, what I said about starting from this idea of, of music and bands is very important. I think I'm, I'm, I'm very much um, still informed by that idea of collaboration and improvisation and sort of combining... Um, creative uh, ideas from a number of different people or a number of different entities. And in the case of Liquidator, I worked with a Polish uh, musician and composer, Michał Osowski. Um, I met him in in Rotterdam and he was a very interesting guy who was making sort of live compositions uh, aided by electronics, but it was very physical what he was doing because he he was... um, using gesture like to um, manipulate his electronic equipment and he was using feedback as well so yeah it had uh, again had this sort of performative quality so then when i was working on liquidator i asked him can we collaborate on this 
the way I approach it is that um, I, I don't like to uh, give like a, a finished film to a composer or a musician, but I'm always trying to work already during the process so that they are, um, I'm showing some of my footage. I'm asking if they can already sort of come up with some ideas for certain sounds that they would use. And so he was kind of, we were kind of working alongside of each other. And I was interested to, to talk to you about your approach to expanded cinema. I guess it seemed like a natural progression given your background in performance and, and then collaboration and finding new ways to present your, your, your single channel work. So when, when did you start to become interested in bringing people together and making live events happen? Yeah, in fact, right from the beginning, because that's, that's kind of what we did. It's kind of the, the the film screenings, the very first film screenings, they were sort of embedded in an event uh, or an exhibition, and there would be uh, live music, there would be performance, um, it would be a mix of different things. And these were kind of quite anarchist type of happenings. So, And we didn't kind of brand it like expanded cinema. I had no idea about the expanded cinema and its history at all. I just started doing that kind of stuff um, and performing and like breaking screens during the projection and and stuff like that. And having maybe having multiple projectors or kind of uh, the film would merge into a music performance or something like that. And then later on, I sort of discovered like that this was not that I didn't invent it, but it was already there and that it was called expanded cinema. Carol started experimenting with organic chemistry and film emulsion in 2014 and developed a technique that uses the internal chemistry of plants for the creation of images on photographic emulsion. Through experimenting with this process, he discovered the possibilities that plants have to offer, deciding only later to name his method Phytogram. His website is rich with information, research, stills, recipes with instructions and some photographs and videos showing work produced during the various workshops Carol has delivered. I asked him what led to the decision to pursue a more organic practice. The earliest influence there was my father because he was an ecologist and he always took us on long hikes and he was then very happy. You walked for like four hours and then you found this little plant or flower and he was then really, really excited. As a small boy, I totally didn't understand this, how you could be excited about something like that. But I think he still somehow um, has managed to influence me on a more subconscious level. And and so I sort of came back to that uh, many years later. I think the next thing was that I, I decided to do um, to pursue a, a doctorate. And then my, my um, of course, I had to come up with a, a research proposal. And um, my proposal was to develop a sort of idea of the future which would be much more ecologically minded uh, 
and that that as a sort of response to science fiction films that are always uh, look like very sanitized and and like uh, shiny metal surfaces and and etc um and everything very much under human control and i thought like uh, there should be an alternative and and if we think about the future that could look very differently but uh, nobody's talking about it um so that that was kind of my my research proposal and and they 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 took it so and then um i started to kind of uh, explore how this could be done at first i was thinking about making a, a sort of big scale uh model for the a, a future city um but then as it goes in these kind of um doctoral um research paths that that I was sort of blocked my path was sort of blocked and they said like oh but you don't know anything about architecture that's not a good idea you have to focus on film because that's your specialty so uh, then I started working very much on the um, the film emotion which was of course a, a thing that I, I was already doing I I was all, in, indeed I was already a specialist working on film emotion and working with chemical processes but so yeah and kind of following my own sort of research question and research proposal this has had to be sort of ecologically minded um so that's that's what i started to explore and the first thing i came across was this caffeinol developer like developing your film with coffee um and it sort of all kind of uh, took off from there one of your more recent works the mulch spider's dream again it, it uses the same process as dandelion but this is a longer work uh, and this again you've used um what you had to hand in your back garden using weeds and and the, the biodegradable chemistry uh, to make the images on the expired film stock and and it's a it's a work that i've been lucky enough to see projected a, a couple of times um and it's been widely shown so were you quite surprised at the the results or, or the kind of level that you got to with that particular approach and how the film came out aesthetically yeah so it's it's kind of i've been at the so the moment that i i first started working with caffeinol in a way quite straightforward still kind of developing a camera image and then I discovered like oh I can actually put the plants on the film and then there will be an image so I don't need the camera I can do away with the camera and so it's the plant itself that produces the image I was very fascinated by that and also quite quickly discovered that there are a lot of possibilities and the way I see it is that um it's not only about the the image making process but it's also a sort of social relationship with the plant um and this is to kind of push the ecological idea kind of one step further um because the the plant is has a certain agency it's not me that decides how the image is going to look like uh, at least not only me um the plant also has a a, a very clear agency there because it has its own shape and form and repetition and color and chemistry um so i have to work with that it's a sort of dialogue with the plant you could say and i i, I very much try to frame it like that 
So that's the, the way I do my experiments becomes like a, that I develop a sort of social relationship with the plant. And, and that is kind of the mulch spider's dream. That, that, that film is very much made with that idea in mind, that sort of approach to, towards the image, in, image making process. So it's always a sort of dis discovery and there's so many, so many things happen um, that are unexpected. And not all of it is interesting. I have to filter it and I have to sort of give it some kind of structure and translate it into some kind of language that we as human beings can understand. Uh, kind of, yeah, so it's, it's, that's kind of how I, I try to approach it. And that's also kind of why um, it keeps on being interesting. It keeps giving. And you've delivered workshops on this process all over. I mean, you're in quite big demand, London, Canada, Latvia. So it must be quite satisfying for you to go out uh, as a kind of pioneer um, to kind of share your knowledge and, and the, find, the findings of your experiments with other people to, to give them the kind of tools and the knowledge to go and try it themselves. Yeah, it's, that has been really great, and and that's a, a, again a, this sort of expansion because that that's kind of my my sort of um, kind of what I developed during that research period was that that's uh, if you want to think about ecology, it it is very much about uh, social relationships. It's not just like I'm not uh, I'm becoming vegan because uh, meat is uh, unsustainable. But it's about that relationship with the animal world and with the vegetable world as well. So, um, and then of course that involves human beings as well. So these workshops, they are like an extension. So I'm not only working with plants as a community, but also with people as a community and bringing them together. So the, 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 and, and this works really, really well. People love it actually. Often it's also actually quite, because now it might seem it might sound quite abstract and and sort of theoretical, but people actually know this. People love gardening. People love cooking, and then you're involved with plants as well. So it's quite easy actually to translate that and to say like, okay, let's go to the garden, pick some plants, and work with them, look at them in a new way, use them in a different way, and yeah, it's sort of taps into something that people actually already know and they, they can just sort of take it and employ it in a different way, in a new way. And I suppose a really good example of that would be Bog, Myrtle and Flamethrowers. So this was the, the piece that you did with Alchemy Film and Arts as an artist in residence. I was lucky enough to uh, attend one of the workshops where the particular venue that we used has its own community garden. Their aim is to grow only things that you can eat. As part of the collaboration and making the piece, each of us had about, I don't know, a foot or so of, of film to place the, the, the kind of plants and leaves and, and fragments on. And it was a, a very kind of social thing throughout the whole process, being in the garden together, being in the studio space together, and then being in the space when actually the, the, the work was projected as a, as a three-channel installation. So do you want to talk about a little bit about the time that you spent in the Hoik and how you worked with the community and what the outcome was as well? 
Yeah, that, that it was really fantastic um, invitation. Uh, I, I mean, I applied for that because there's this kind of series of uh, of installations, and I applied with that, but were kind of um, saying like I want to make a, a new work on site and in collaboration with the community. So and they responded very positive. They said like, "Wow, this is great." This is exactly what we want to do. Our kind of uh, agenda is very much uh, overlapped. They sort of things came together. They just fell into place. And then it was fantastic because I've been at the Alchemy Film Festival already um, for a couple of years. But then it's always, it feels like you're a bit like a satellite community. You, you sort of, there's all these artists coming to town and uh, they have their own sort of party. And the, the, the sort of the people that live in Hoik, they're very welcoming and they give, they, they, they are very generous in kind of giving that space. But it's kind of, especially when you come there for the first time, you don't know. You, 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 it's new and it can easily be a sort of scenery. Like, okay, it's a, it's, it's a very nice town. It, it looks nice. I can have a walk along the river and then I go back into the cinema and that's it. So I, uh, for me, that was really great opportunity to actually get to know the place and have a, a bit wider uh, idea of kind of what's going on, who lives there, what is the kind of reality um, outside of the film festival. I always think that I can learn a lot, that it's not just me as a artist giving a workshop and telling everybody what I know and what they should do and what they should think, but that I, sh I always want to try and open up and listen to people as well. I got to know so many uh, people that you wouldn't meet during the film festival and understood much more about Hoik and its history and yeah a really immersive experience for you then i think so the your your technique um you have put together a website where people can see the the recipes and read about some of the history and your research and you've also launched some online workshops where you talk people through the process so tell me a little bit about about this new venture for you the website is already there for since uh, for a couple of years um because i just thought like it's it's important to share this and and not to i had some uh, some people said to me you have to patent this and i thought like no it's a bit like you could say um Let's say we are, we are now we are looking for a vaccine against uh, that will work against the uh, coronavirus. Of course, it's sort of the the the, the capitalist mindset. Uh, uh, then very quickly uh, things like oh, this is a, a a very good business opportunity because the the whole world population will need that. So let's patent it and we get rich. Um, but I, I can't kind of I I just think it's very silly. Uh, uh, so for me, it also felt like this. It doesn't work. I, I can't keep this for myself. I have to share it. This is it's about social relationships. So it needs to be shared. So I set up that, that that website. But of course, now I found myself in a in a little bit different situation because uh, a lot of the workshop the workshops that were planned for the next couple of months they were cancelled. 
So then I started thinking about uh, what what else can I do? And I came up with this plan that kind of let me develop an, uh, some short online workshops. And then maybe the good way to distrib- distribute this is to ask like a, a small fee. Yeah, uh, which will, of course, help me to continue my practice. Uh, I think the ones that don't want to pay, they can still go to the, the website and find the... The information that they need themselves and start experimenting the ones that want to want me to be there to show them and to show them things in a bit more detail they are very willing to pay this the small fee i agree and we will put the links to the website and direct links to some of the films that we've talked about in detail today and the link to the trailer for the online courses on our website at into the Um, Carol, it's been uh, a real pleasure to spend some time with you today and talk to you about your work. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. It was really nice, yeah. Into the Northlight.